Closed Gallery, 1969. Robert Barry, ink on cardstock and not ink on cardstock. Now, you're probably wondering what's going on. You're probably glancing around, maybe nervously so, to see just what triggered this narration. While your caution is well-founded, I promise that this time there is no need for alarm. You can stop scanning the walls or craning your neck to examine the ceiling. You don't need to crouch to the floor in search of something minuscule beneath your feet or peer into the next room for something enormous and obvious. You don't need to check if your audio device is working. The lack of backing music is deliberate. I would suggest a quick search of your pockets or purse or backpack wherever you might carry something small, like an invitation. According to patrons who have experienced this work here on the estate grounds, they've usually found it somewhere obvious on their person. Have you found it? If you have, and I am going to assume that that is true, you should be looking at a simple piece of white cardstock. On one side, you should see your name, home address, and a stamp. On the other, a single line of black text that reads, During the exhibition, the gallery will be closed. This is the work in question, or rather, the invitation to view it, which you can't, because as the card says, the gallery is closed. It will always be closed. For a bit of historical context about this piece, its original exhibition in 1969 consisted of mailed invitations, exactly like the one you just received, to three concurrent showings in Los Angeles, Amsterdam, and Turin. And in each city, the exhibition of closed gallery was just that. The Godfrey staff don't know the exact date when these invitation cards began materializing in people's pockets and bags, but the earliest recorded instance of closed gallery's presence here at the estate was in 1991, when a patron discovered the card in his back pocket and, according to records of his statement, bragged about attending the original 1969 exhibition. The curators present for that conversation couldn't tell if the man was joking or not. Early in Barry's career, he switched over from painting to creating art with invisible media. He said he wanted to make art that was influenced by its surroundings as much as it influenced its surroundings. Think for a moment about the closed gallery to which you have just been invited. Imagine moving through it. What art is on display? How many pieces? What do you think about them, or think you might think about them? How do these pieces impact your mood or your thoughts on the world? Imagine the space itself. Is it airy or claustrophobic? Bustling with people or quiet and serene? Whatever you are imagining, both here in this moment and later whenever you remember the invitation you found today, that is Barry's Closed Gallery. Summoned into existence within and by your curious mind. Summoned out of nothing at all. It is as real as anything you might imagine. Such is your influence on this work, just as Barry hoped for. It has been shaped and changed for your having encountered it, and it will change again with the reading of the next invitation delivered to another guest. But Barry hoped for two-way interactions with his work. So as you go about your day, perhaps occasionally running your fingers along the heavy cardstock that bears your name, 
ponder just how this work has shaped and changed you for having encountered it. What alterations might it be forging in your perspective, even now? For any burgeoning art historians out there, the Godfrey Estate and Museum is excited to offer a brand new program for teens, the Youth Docent Summer Camp. Open to children aged 12 to 17, this week-long program will teach kids all about what goes into the curating and running of a museum. Participants in the program will spend the entire week on the premises learning about the history of the estate and the art within it, getting sneak peeks into the Godfrey Archive Storage Facility, and will ultimately curate a student gallery, which will be put on display for family and friends at the conclusion of the program. To answer the most pressing question our staff has received about this new offering, yes, this is an overnight camp. But never fear, all participants will be housed in secure and comfortably furnished accommodations located in what used to be Annabelle Godfrey's living quarters here on the grounds. This same location is used to house staff members during overnight changeovers of exhibits and installations. And not a single person has ever gone missing during an overnight stay while residing there. As a reminder to all guests, this and other youth programs are the only times when Godfrey staff members will actively look after your children. And that is because you are paying for them to do so. For child rearing, like all kinds of labor, deserves compensation. Any teenagers interested in participating should submit a personal statement, explaining their love of art and their interest in the program. Most forms of self-expression will be accepted, be it an essay, interpretive dance, spoken word poem, encrypted cipher, or any other medium that speaks to them. Aurora Borealis, 1917. Hugh Connolly, Oil on Canvas. Connolly created both the preliminary sketch of this work, which you can see on display below the main painting, and the final piece itself during a trip to Canada, a trip that he and Annabelle took during the early years of their relationship. Entries from both Connolly and Annabelle's journals provide details of the painting's inspiration. According to them, the pair had been out for an evening stroll, bundled up tight against the piercing cold. The night in question was especially brisk, and the sky especially clear, which is perhaps why the northern lights, more or less an ever-present phenomenon during their stay, caught their attention so fully. Connolly wrote of this moment, We were walking arm in arm along a forested path not far from the cabin, making our way by the soft and ever-shifting glow from above, when all of a sudden, the woods around us erupted in green and purple light, we looked straight up into the night sky, and the lights there shone and danced like nothing we had yet seen during our stay. Color seemed to fill the void between the stars, a marvel, revealing even more marvelous depths. Of the moments following this dazzling display, Annabelle wrote, It didn't surprise me at all that Hugh pulled his sketch pad from his pocket and immediately tried to capture just how the barren branches cut such imposing figures against all that radiance or something to that effect, I imagine. Nor did I mind, not really. I minded only that it was dreadfully cold out, and without his hands to warm my own, my fingers felt frozen solid even in my mittens. When it became clear that he was fully lost to his work, I returned to our cabin with the notion of mounting a search party if he did not return within the hour. And at minute 57, just as I was lacing up my boots to go back out and collect him, 
He stumbles in through the front door. Practically chilled to the bone, he goes straight into the studio that he set up in the cabin's second bedroom and closes the door with nary a word to me. But he can get that way when inspiration strikes. He pours his whole being into the work, focusing on nothing else, lest the idea escape his reach and return forever to the ether. Ah, well. More hot cocoa for me, I suppose. Though mentioned as a gentle chiding in her journal, Connolly's fastidious attention to detail that Annabelle mentions is on full display in the final product. The greens and purples and occasional accents of pink seem both to dance against and envelop the twinkling stars that dot the sky. And of particular distinction are the shadowed trees silhouetted against the northern lights. The perspective of the painting makes these dark sentinels appear to loom over the viewer, just as they loomed over Connolly as he sat out in the cold, sketching the scene. Their thick and imposing trunks rise like pillars of void cutting through the brilliance around them. Their delicate many hundreds of dark branches further splinter that light. It becomes a bit hypnotic, if you look at it long enough. Almost as if the darkness is spreading. Almost as if you can feel the chill in the air as a shiver runs down your spine. Fun fact, there have been a few interesting reports about this piece over the years. Specifically, reports of changes to its appearance. The first is that in the days following Connolly's disappearance in 1927, the colorful night sky within this painting went fully dark. No lights, no stars, nothing at all. These, of course, eventually returned. The second is that when Annabelle would walk past this painting, the lights within it would glow. Not appear more vivid or seem to glow, but actually radiate light whenever she was present. These stories came from people who accompanied Annabelle past this piece, as Annabelle thought that that was just how the painting always looked, and was unaware of any difference. And third, is that when Annabelle passed away in 1976, all color in the painting faded into shades of gray. The records of several curators confirm this final report, as the change lasted for many, many years. As if something within this piece mourned her passing. Thank you for listening to the Godfrey Audio Guide. This episode was written, produced, and performed by Nicole Knudsen, with sound design and editing by James Ferrero. It was produced on unceded Tongva, Chumash, and Keech territory. Enjoying your trip to the estate? Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your podcast app of choice. And consider telling a friend about us. Or two. Or three. Or everyone you know. To keep up with The Godfrey, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Godfrey Guide, or visit our website, thegodfreyaudioguide.com. For Godfrey merchandise, visit our online store, thegodfreyaudioguide.threadless.com. And finally, if you're interested in becoming a sustaining member of the show, make sure to visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash thegodfreyaudioguide. In addition to our various membership tiers, you'll also find full episode transcripts available as public posts for any who wish to read them. Until next time, friends, see you back at the museum.
into each life, a little chaos must fall. Tell me it's not starting again, I see. Come out and face me. You amount to nothing if you can't remember. Dark Nexus, a Pathfinder Strange Eons actual play audio drama. Four strangers drawn together. I just want to get out of here. You're a liar. Who are you? That body belonged to me. Kill him anyway. Trapped in a waking nightmare. Right now, there is something outside of this barricade that is beyond, certainly beyond my feeble understanding. You'll let me go, right? You have to. Robbed of their memories? You do not even know the date. As far as we're concerned, we've only been alive for the last hour? Where are we? Searching for answers. He wants to believe that his true identity is something helpful, but he's scared that he's something evil. If I could take back a lot of who I was, I would. She is extremely dangerous. I want to find out who took my memory. And I want to make whoever took them pay. Their lives have ended, but their story is just beginning. Dark Nexus. Join us each week for a new chapter in an epic weird horror mystery. We are who we are right now. And we're going to have to believe in that if we're going to get out of here alive. How long will they last? Well, everyone dies. Have you found the yellow side? Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you choose to listen. For more information, visit darknexuspodcast.com.